0: read, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of your holy word and pray that it would challenge us and comfort us and lead us as we seek to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1975, in Cologne, Germany, the great jazz pianist Keith Jarrett arrived early to the venue where he was scheduled to play an improvisational concert in front of 1,400 people. He had come a few hours before the concert to practice on the piano that he was going to use, but minutes after meeting the instrument, he announced that the concert would be canceled because the piano was unplayable. It was out of tune the black keys were sticking, the pedals didn't work, the high notes sounded harsh and tinny because the felt on the keys had worn away. Worst of all, the piano itself was too small for the concert hall. Jared knew it wouldn't be loud enough to fill the auditorium, so he flat out refused to play a concert on that piano. It was simply too broken, too messed up, too deficient to provide the music he had come to share. On this fifth Sunday of Lent, we are moving inevitably closer to the last days of Jesus' life. After three years of nonstop traveling and healing and debating the religious leaders and eluding the civil authorities, Jesus takes time for one last visit with his friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. This isn't the first time these three friends have appeared in this narrative. Lazarus is the friend Jesus loves so much that when Lazarus dies, Lazarus who is the brother of Mary and Martha, Jesus comes and brings him back to life. This miracle is so extraordinary that the news of it spreads far and wide, causing more and more people to see Jesus as more than a gifted teacher or miracle worker. Maybe, just maybe, they begin to think and even whisper out loud, he is the one. In the Gospel of John, this miracle and its impact is what causes the religious leaders to conclude that they need to get rid of Jesus by whatever means necessary. So Jesus and his friends, his disciples, go into hiding until about a week before the festival of Passover, when they go visit Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Knowing that this is the first time these friends have seen Jesus since Lazarus' healing might make it a little less surprising that Mary lavishes on Jesus an extravagant and messy display of hospitality and gratitude and love, bathing his feet With perfume that would have cost her the equivalent of a year's wages. I once had the unfortunate experience of dropping and breaking a small bottle of perfume in a very tiny bathroom. We lived in that house for another year, but the smell never went away. Now, the amount of perfume Mary used would fill this entire sanctuary with a scent so strong, it would saturate everything, our hair, our skin, our clothes. This is an act of deepest love and gratitude, an acknowledgement of Mary's thanksgiving for the miracle Jesus worked in bringing her brother back from the dead, as well as a foreshadowing whether Mary meant it to be or not, of Jesus' own death. Mary's act of love toward Jesus is tangible, messy, smelly, even sensuous, as she gets close enough to his feet to touch them with her hands and then wipe them off with her hair. It is a scandalous act in more ways than one. And it makes at least one of the disciples deeply uncomfortable. When Keith Jarrett refused to play that concert in Germany because the quality of the piano was too poor, he learned that the person who had made the concert happen was a 17-year-old girl. After Jarrett refused to play, she desperately tried to fix the piano, and when that didn't work, she spent an hour looking for a replacement instrument to no avail. So she went back to Jarrett and begged. He looked at the young woman in front of him, desperate for him to perform, and he thought of the 1,400 people who would soon arrive at the concert hall to hear him play, and finally his heart softened. All right, he told her, for you, because of all you've done to make this happen, I'll do it. But before the concert began, Jarrett told his producer to record it so they would have evidence of what a musical catastrophe sounds like and so that they could use the recording to warn future concert planners that to play a successful concert, Keith Jarrett needed a proper piano. As Mary pours out this priceless perfume on Jesus' feet, Judas objects. He objects to her messy and extravagant display of love and gratitude. Now, the author of John tells us that Judas is the keeper of the purse. In other words, he is the treasurer and the finance chair of this small band of disciples. Now surely this was not a group with a whole lot of money to manage, but that might be why Judas is so scandalized by Mary's extravagance. An editorial comment in the text seeks to cast Judas as the bad guy, but I have to say I sympathize with his question And frankly, if the church treasurer or the finance chair asked a question like this at a session meeting, I think our elders would appreciate it. After all, being good stewards of the church's resources is part of the job of our church leaders. Which is why Jesus' response to Judas is so odd. When Judas points out that the money spent on perfume could have been used for the poor, Jesus responds, The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. It is a strange response, and since we can assume that Jesus is not giving us a pass on doing whatever we can to improve the lives of those in poverty We have to dig a little deeper to understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus does not reject Mary's extravagant display of love, despite the mess it makes. What is seen as a waste by Judas, and maybe by some others, is received and perhaps even appreciated by Jesus Although Jesus' first response to Judas' objection is to tell Judas to leave Mary alone, he then invites Judas and everyone else there to think more deeply about how we engage the poor and one another. These words, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me, invite us to engage the messiness of humanity, messiness that is always a byproduct of generosity, messiness that is inevitable when we commit to love and serve the least and the lost. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. The Greek word translated here as poor doesn't just mean those who have a little less than those who might be considered wealthy. The word is used to describe people who are destitute, who have lost everything, who have no wealth, no property, and even no family These are the very people Jesus sought out time and time again, the ones begging by the side of the road, the ones who've been abandoned by their family and friends because of mental or physical illness, those utterly dependent on the kindness of strangers. These are the people Jesus describes in another parable that he tells to teach us that when we meet the most basic needs of another human being, giving water to one who is thirsty or clothes to one who is naked or visiting someone in prison, we do that very thing for Jesus himself. And we meet Jesus there because Jesus will always be found with the poor and the broken and the messiest among us. That is where Jesus invites us to meet him. So in this scene before his death, when he will hang on a cross, desperate and destitute and suffering and abandoned and unquestionably poor, Jesus invites his disciples to enter into the mess their own And others as a way of honoring his life. Instead of practicing responsible stewardship, he invites them to an extravagant generosity that leaves a mark. After Keith Jarrett gave in, And agreed to play that concert, he sat down at that broken mess of a piano to figure out how to make the best of this bad situation. During the concert, as he improvised on those subpar keys, he found it was better to stick to the middle range of the keyboard and avoid the harsh upper register. He created rolling, repetitive riffs in the bass line to give the music resonance. To compensate for the fact that the piano was so small and quiet and that the pedals didn't quite work, he stood up for most of the concert and pounded on the keys with all his weight. In the recording, you can actually hear him moaning with the frustration of his efforts to wring music out of that instrument. And yet, to the amazement of everyone who knew the deficiencies of the instrument he was working with, The concert was outstanding. Sticking to the middle range of the piano produced music that people found incredibly soothing to listen to. The bass riffs and Jarrett's efforts to make that music loud enough to carry throughout the concert hall created an amazing combination of peacefulness and dynamism. The unholy mess of that broken piano became a lasting gift for the recording of that concert went on to become Keith Jarrett's masterpiece, the best-selling jazz album in history, the best-selling solo jazz album in history, and the best-selling piano album in history. If we think we can make the world a better place without stepping into a mess? If we think a balanced budget and careful spending and long-range plans and finely tuned instruments are the answer, we might manage to avoid the mess, but we will miss Jesus. Because life's messes have a way of disarming us, of pushing us out of our comfort zones, of forcing us to be honest, and of revealing God. I don't know what is messy in your life right now. I do know that is where God is waiting, waiting for you to pound out with all your might something new and unexpected and impassioned. For it is there, in the mess of our relationships or financial struggles or difficult decisions, in the mess of our political divisions, our debates about budgets and taxes and immigration and education and poverty, in all that mess, God is there, waiting to do God's best work through us Through our gratitude, our compassion, our generosity, our extravagance, our intelligence, and our love. All of which God uses to turn what looks like an unholy mess into something beautiful, unexpected, extraordinary, even sacred. Into a place where God will always find us. Amen.